All right, everybody. Good morning. Good to see you. Glad you could make it with us this morning. If you'd like to uh, stand up, we'll begin. Also, before we go on any further, we have a birthday in the room. And happy birthday to Becky Smith. Our first time is not happy birthday. of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, oh praise Him, hallelujah, Calvary's sung with golden Rejoice in his great love. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. Christ has defeated every sin. Cast all your burdens now on him. Oh, praise him. Oh, Hallelujah. 
Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Father, as we come before you today, we come before you singing these things that are true about you. Thank you for the things that you've done and who you are. It's who you are accomplishing what you've done that secures our salvation. So thank you because we have much to sing about because our God reigns and he lives. And he tells us, because I live, you too shall live. That's a promise that every Christian gets to hold on to. And we thank you for securing it and for giving it to us. All of your grace and mercy. And for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Kids, if you want, you can uh, head up to the youth wing. Yeah. 
You can have a seat, everybody. All right. We have a good bit of scripture in front of us today. And so, Father, our Father who is in heaven, whose name is holy, may your kingdom come, may your will be done in the sowing of this seed, which is your word. Father, I pray for a great mercy and a great grace in the tilling of our soil, of our hearts, to remove the hardness, to give depth, to pull weeds so that we might be that good soil prepared by the sower who is our God and produce much fruit. Father, I, I pray just for sight today. Help us to see you and behold you and see your surpassing worth. And thank you for these dear people Thank you for the divine opportunity to bring about your word. Your name is holy and our God reigns. Strengthen our faith today. And it's for your wonderful grace and your wonderful name we pray. Amen. All right, so over the last two weeks, we've been going over the parable of the sower. And we took our time with it. We spent two weeks on it. And before we go any further today, I just want to reiterate a little bit, and I want to put gospel parentheses around our uh, time together today. The gospel at the beginning, the gospel in the middle, and the gospel at the end. The gospel is the saving message of Christ Jesus for us on our behalf. And um, reading this book, this book by John Piper, and this segment kind of caught me. So I want to lay this before you, and then we'll jump in. Your God reigns. God is the king of the universe. He has absolute creator rights over this world and everyone in it. But there is rebellion and mutiny on all sides, and his authority is scorned by millions. So the Lord sends preachers into the world to cry out that God reigns, that he will not suffer his glory to be scorned indefinitely, that he will vindicate his name in great and terrible wrath, but... For now, a full and free amnesty is offered to all the, rebellion, all the rebel subjects who will turn from their rebellion, call on him for mercy, bow before his throne, and swear allegiance and fealty to him forever. And this amnesty is signed in the blood of his son. So we've seen over the past few weeks, Jesus is proclaiming. That's largely what Luke 8 is about so soon afterwards, he went through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. He's doing everything that he said he would do. He came for many reasons, but, in his, uh, but he came specifically for this reason, to preach. And now, as he makes proclamation, this is what it looks like to be proclaimed to, um, this parable of the sower that I just want to reiterate for a few minutes. Starting in verse 9 in Luke 8. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. 
Now he explains this. He opens it up for us. His disciples ask him and he gives them the secrets. He gives them, he doesn't protect his truth. He doesn't hide his truth from his people. It's open for us. The seed is the word of God. And as we've made, as we've tried to make as clear as we could, the seed is the word of God and we are the soil. The ones that fell along the path are those who have heard. The devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So the soil falls and it might as well fall on cement. Next, the, the word uh, and the ones that on the rocks are those who when they hear the word receive it with joy but these have no root and they believe for a while and in a time of testing fall away. So the first seed, nothing happens. Falls on a path. Second seed, uh, the ground is, this is, the first seed is a hard heart. The second seed is a partially hard heart. The soil uh, is only deep enough for it to you know, germinate and begin, not last. And in a time of trial, fall away. And for the seed that fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but they go on in their way and they're choked out by the cares and pleasures of riches of life. And their fruit does not mature. So the first seed, nothing. Second seed, a little something. Third, third soil, rather, grows up. But it doesn't produce fruit because it's kept from the other things that it loves. And Christ and his word are secondary and they're among the things that they love. But as for the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now, this is the parable that kind of that diagnoses our hearts so that we can understand anything and everything that Jesus would have to say to us. And Erwin Lutzer said, the receivability of the soil determines rather it receives the seed. Now our God comes along, and this is the parable of the sower that we've been talking about. What farmer goes out without preparing the field? He doesn't just go out into a wild field and throw his stuff out there. This is a soil prepared. Now I wanted to just reiterate this and put this in our minds. We all have measures of the first, th first three soils in us, but the good news is that our, the sower is at work. And so there's hope. It's his will that we would be open and receptive to receive his working within us. He wants us to be that good soil. And now, our text today. As we go in from it, the, Jesus switches the, uh, the illustration. It goes from agricultural and um, a parable that uh, the, the word is truth, it is seed and for good soil that produces fruit. Now he changes it, and it's the, it, he's on the same track. Now the truth is light that produces sight. So verse 16, no one after lighting a lamp, and we're going to spend most of our time here, and we're going to run through it, and I just want to be like cards on the table. We're going to see the power of God. We're going to see his, his, his work this week and next. So he says this, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar, puts it under a bed. Like, no one does that. That would be absurd. Um, that's the same as 
taking every measure to make this amazing meal. And I don't just mean like throwing something from the freezer into the oven. I mean like going to the store, going to the market, going to the garden, being specific, looking up just the right recipe, deciding out of many, finding that one, preparing it, spending hours, and then in the end just to throw it in the trash after it's all done. So like no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed. Uh, we don't do that with bread that we buy at the store for a few bucks that sustains us for a brief amount of time, but we kind of do that with the word of God that sustains us eternally at times. But puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see it. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed. You'll burn the house down that way. But puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see it. So hiding the light, hiding the truth is absurd. To receive saving revelation and then hide it is to deny the sower, to reject his seed. So it says we put it on a stand, it goes up high. So it gives light to the whole room. Now, in, back in those days, there'd be these little um, saucers that would be their lamps. And there'd be like a little shallow bowl and the edge of it would be pinched and there would, you would put a little wick in and light the wick that sat on top the oil. So essentially, it's not given much light. Uh, R.C. Sproul said that uh, it's not making Thomas Edison shake in his boots or anything like that. So that's why it needs to be held in a high place so that you can do what? Maximize light. Essentially, it's a candle. So we maximize the light, the truth. Fruit in the parable of the, sower, of the sower glorifies the sower. Not to bear fruit dishonors the sower. Not to, as it says, hear, hold fast, and bear fruit. That's, a, that's the whole process and, of going through this. And here, light shows and glorifies the light giver. None of us in and of ourselves are the light. So I want to make a distinction. If we look at John 8, verse 12, we see, we hear Jesus making one of his I am statements. He says, I am the light of the world. On the Sermon on the Mount, when he's teaching this very text just in the book of Matthew, he starts it out by saying, you are the light of the world. Now, he came to save us. He came to save us because well, he came into darkness. I want you to know that the only reason that, you, that Jesus tells his church, his church, that they are the light of the world is because the mystery of the gospel, according to Colossians, is that is Christ in you. In and of ourselves, we are not the light. He is the light. He's, he's the light bulb. We're the lighthouse. Because there's a sea full of wandering ships that need that light maximized so that they don't get tossed to and fro by every wave of teaching, every wave of doctrine, everything that the world has to offer. And we too were once adrift. We were in that sea. And the good news is the light came to us. And this is the importance of sound teaching 
outweighing all else the church has to offer because eternal salvation is dependent on sound biblical teaching because you don't get to the right place with the wrong map. I want to look at Ephesians 4, verse 12 real quick. Verse 11 and 12. I just want us to see something in this. And he gave, God gave the church, the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers. Now, all of these do one thing. They're workers of truth. Light workers, uh, they're hired uh, sowers in the field, hired by the sower. Two, he gives us for the purpose, one, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The word of God is sufficient for this. And for two, building up the body of Christ. I don't know what to do uh, when I receive, receive compliments. It kind of makes me uncomfortable. But I ask at the same time, I don't know how far I'd get without being encouraged. The word of God can do that. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God until we're united around the knowledge and the gospel of Jesus Christ, and only that, we're only together in the same room. We don't belong. But if we're united to that, then we're one body. To, to the mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, as we said, tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. That'll make sense here in a few minutes. By human cutting, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes, by people saying, hey, come this way. This is where it's at. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, Jesus, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow and build itself up in love. If we're all united by the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's a supernatural power within that. It's God working in his field. We need one another. If the mystery of the gospel is Christ in you, and there's only three places on the earth where God can be found, prayer, scripture, and in his people, then our togetherness is essential. I need Christ in you, you need Christ in me, because we all need Christ. And just about lights. The other night, my friend's dog got loose. Uh, and dogs always never get loose at a good time. Um, my kids were in bed, I was working on this. And Satan tried to throw a wrench in my spokes, and <laughs> my, friend's, no, I'm joking. my friend's dog got loose. So it's the middle of the night. <clears throat> well, by the time I came home, it was the middle of the night. It was 10.30 when I went out. Uh, the moon was bright, uh, and I was grateful for the moon. Uh, and just as it relates to this, the moon is not the source of its light, and neither are we. And we need to ref be reflecting that light because there's a dark world out there. And there's some dangers in it. I was thinking about the bear that was in our back while I was out in the middle of the park at night by myself. And I found 50 cats, I think a raccoon. I got, this deer was just right there when I shined my flashlight. And I was done after that. 
I kept hearing things and seeing nothing. How much we miss light when we can't see anything. And the only way we see anything is to come in to the reality of truth. Simple definition of truth, truth is reality. So to hold back the light, the truth, the saving message graciously given to us by revelation through Jesus Christ, being Jesus Christ, handed down to the apostles and all the way up until today, is to not to give food to a person who's an inch away from death because of starvation. They die and you, it doesn't go well. Some of us are those starving people. And coming here might be about something else, but we need to be those people who live like what we believe, what we expound, this Jesus that you're hearing right now. We need to be living like what we believe is actually true because it is. My wife asked me last night, um, why is it that, why is it that uh, we catch a lot of flack and made fun of for believing in God, going to church, but there's people who believe that crystals have enlightenment within them. And I told her, some people believe that Jesus is a mushroom and they do. In, in, out in the desert in Arizona, there's all these certain, thing, certain things. If you take this mushroom, that's Jesus, and you'll get, be enlightened like him because he ate those mushrooms. This is an actual thing. No. Our confidence is not a leap of faith in blindness. It's a leap of faith in sureness. This is historic. This is you can look back in, in history and find this Jesus as he presents himself. This just isn't a book of stories. This is a historical record. Luke is going out and interviewing eyewitnesses. This is a real guy. He was written about by people who didn't even believe him, who said the same things that the people who believed him were saying about him. So it's not a leap of faith Oh, is he going to catch me? It's a leap of faith. He will catch me. He says he will. He doesn't give the invitation just to, as you're jumping, swat you down. That's good news. So, we need to be those people who live like what we believe is actually true, because it is. We shouldn't be a closed and locked filing cabinet with all this information in us. We should be a bookshelf where everybody can see it's accessible, it's open. You can see what you're made of. You can see what you believe in. It's on display. So we reveal, we don't conceal. The word of God is not uh, to be held and stored away and concealed. It's to be held, stored up, and shared. What if you were the only Bible that people ever read, and some of you are? What would your friends and your family know about God? Your coworkers? Not trying to give you a drive-by guilt trip, but I want to I want to exhort you. I want to encourage you. Openness. Jesus tells when he teaches this story in a different gospel. Um, 
talks about it. Like he says, the eye of the body, if the eye is good, the whole body will be good. He's saying, what's your worldview? How do you look at things? Either he is your worldview or not. We, should be, we, we shouldn't be ashamed of anything this book has to say. This is reality. We were rescued from fantasy. We don't live in fantasy. We were drunk on the world, and now we're awake, sober, and alive. Verse 17. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Um, so there's a negative and a positive here. Let's go positive. Positive, there is nothing hidden that will not be made manifest. There's coming a time, and he's talking about the judgment here, where Everything that we're talking about in here, everything you've ever read in your Bible will be the only truth. It, it really is the only truth right now. But it, there will be no more governments, no more ideologies, no more different religions, different, no schemes. God in his kingdom that he made will bring that kingdom come. So that prayer you've been saying your whole life, your kingdom come is going to have come. And there will be one king and no other system. This is God's world that he made. And he is the only rightful king of this place. So the truth about Christ will be open. Uh, he will know, he'll speak to us plainly. He will be our God and, he, and we will be his people. Spurgeon called that the dearest promise in all the scripture because the ultimate gaf goal of your faith is not to get to heaven, but to get to Jesus. And so, it, and then the negative to that is um, everything, nor is there anything secret that will not come to light. So, Timothy 5, verse 24 says this, that um, the sins of many people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment but the sins of others appear later. So also, good works are conspicuous, they're clear, visible, and even those that are not conspicuous, that's open, visible, cannot remain hidden. So, no sin will ever be kept secret forever. Secrets, according to the truth and the promise that there, everything's going to be revealed later, everything about Christ and everything about us. And that's a horrifying thought. If I put just my thoughts from this morning on the screen right now, I would be mortified. And I'd probably throw up. Um, so there's no secret is permanent, and so there's an offer on the table. We could, there's so much teaching about not being in shame, and you should, and there's the, this, this, this is like five sermons, but if I could just encapsulate it all right here. Jesus rescues us from shame, but we have shame that we need to present him instead of holding on to it, or feelings of shame. Sometimes he's forgiven us, and we operate, and we still have feelings of shame, even though the, 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 the cause of that shame has been so, and this is what we do at communion time. We remember him, we put off ourselves. 
we lay it before God so that it gets counted to Christ there and his righteousness is given to us. And so we could have shame seeking mercy now. That's what we do with our shame. That's something good that we do with our shame or shame in judgment then if we hold on to it and do, and do nothing with it. So we could have pride now Pride now takes us to judgment then. Humility now takes us to mercy now. All repented sin can only be shown mercy. All unrepented sin can only be shown judgment. So we could be exposed by the light now, not loving our sin as, you, as we see in John 3. We could be exposed by the light now, freely give it. Sorry, exposed by the light then, or live in the light now. Slave in secret now, and then, or free in truth. Perhaps some need to ask the question, do I care more about what people say about me now, or what God will say about me in the end? And I know these are hard words, but hard words soften hearts, and soft words harden hearts. I think I've said that before, and you can't crack cement with a feather. And this is doing something in our souls, and don't worry. The good news is there's, there's relief, and it's coming. Verse 18. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, even more will be given... That's the positive promise. If you, if you are that good soil, you receive the word of the Lord, um, Jesus says, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Like, whatever you say, it, that, that, I'm in. That's it. That's all I want. You are God. I've made a terrible God of my life. It's you. Your small amount of faith will overcome all the hardness of the first soil, the shallowness of the second, and the weeds in the third, so that you'll be that good producing soil. Who, 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 the first soil doesn't want anything to do with the Lord. It's a pretty good sign if you're here that, and you're listening to this that Jesus has somewhat broken it up at least. But good soil, prepared soil, invites the sower to come. Come, I, I need I'll just barren ground apart from you. Come, add to me. That's what we're doing every day when we wake up and start seeking him. Here, because this is where he can be revealed. This is where he's found. Like God can do so much more with a vessel empty of itself than one full of itself. God can do so much more with our humility than we could ever do in our pride. And a negative promise. And from the one who has not, they think they have. And he says that here. Even what he thinks, imagines knowing God, but doesn't, will be taken away. So he said first, take care how you hear. Um, he's talking about our intake. When we pay a lot of attention, uh, and we should, the Bible exhorts us to be self-controlled people and uh, be careful about what we produce and our reactions, that our anger isn't like some sword that we cut somebody up with or um, 
and how we speak. Like James 3 says, the, the tongue is, a, is this thing that you need to tame. It's, it's, it's a small thing, but it can start a forest fire, it says in James 3. Um, so we put a lot of thought into how we act and what we produce, but that Jesus just told us here, we need not just be careful of what we do, what we, what we say, we need to be careful how we hear. Because, I mean, he sold us when we were a few chapters ago. Um, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So what's in you is going to be made visible out of you. Is he in you? Be careful what we intake. Like, one of the most dangerous places on planet Earth is the Christian bookstore. One of the most dangerous apps is, I don't want to say that. It's a good app, very good app. Uh, but the Bible app, I love the Bible app, I'm not hating on the Bible app, you should download the Bible app and read the Bible on the Bible app. Um, if that's your thing, I really think you should buy one of these. That's just my point of view though. But. I want to put a sign in front of the Bible app and in front of the Christian book section at Barnes & Noble or in front of the door where you can see it and it says, not all these views are faithful to what's found in the Bible. Like, there's so many good devotions out there. Um, But in order to decipher which ones are the good ones, you need to have this. You need to go to the source. Otherwise, you're just drinking bottled water when you can have the waterfall, and you're ingesting everybody's... And I did this very much at the beginning of our faith. In the beginning of my faith, I wanted every... I didn't care what it was. I wanted anything and everything I could find about this God. Bought a Bible and didn't feel good reading it, but that's, I learned later, that's how I knew he was working, because there's a lot of me that needed chiseled off and pruned, and, and now this is the meal I most look forward to, and I love food. Um, but we get the invitation to come to the source. We get the waterfall. Not to, and some of us in our devos, we hide from God, we hide from this in our devos. We fear God just enough not to totally neglect him, and so we'll go somewhere and ingest something that has a few verses sprinkled into it to make their point. And Spurgeon said, visit many books, but live in the Bible. There's so many Jesuses in the world, especially available in Western culture like ours, and there's only one Jesus, and he can only be found here. So when you open this and you go to read, open this and seek, and you'll find him according to his own promise. All right, moving on to the next part of the story. Then Jesus, all right, sorry. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And when he was told 
Your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, Jesus says in the book of John, If you love me, you'll obey me. Um, maybe his mother and brother, they wanted to see him. They wanted to speak with him. But, they, but did they? Did the crowd in front of him want to hear him, believe him, follow him? Now later we see that his brothers go on to write books of the Bible, Jude and James. You must be God if your own sibling believes that you're God. So Jesus uses this opportunity to make this statement to the crowd but he doesn't answer them according to their wishes for or from him, but according to his purposes in his ministry. He answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. They're the fourth soil, the ones that produce, the one that receive and produce, the ones that when the light is given, put it up for everybody in the house to see. So they, they come to him, they hear. And they do. All of our doing, some of us just skip to the doing, and we're doing our best, and we're just active, we're not fruitful. All of our doing needs to come out of belief and faith in Christ so that it's fruit and not just activity. Proximity helps. His parents, or his, his family, his mom and his brothers, by the way, go tell your Catholic friends that Jesus had brothers. Mary did not perpetually stay a virgin. Being close might help, but if you've never landed, then it doesn't matter how close you've got. And this is true relationship. Obedience is the only evidence that Christ has saved us of salvation. You'll know them by their fruit. They obey the word of God because they love the giver of it. My sheep know my voice and won't follow another, Jesus tells us. And this is also the doctrine of adoption, that God is building a church who know him as father. He's saying, let's say this, I want to say this. I'm consistently looking for emotional affirmations that God loves me but the proof that he does is found in the truth. So I might have a moment of affirmation and we so crave those things, but the truth outweighs those things. Um, and I need only look at the cross and I need only look there because you don't do that for someone you don't love. And so if I want proof that I love him, I'll come here and do what he says because he's worthy as my Lord and Savior. I'll do so absolutely imperfectly, but there's grace for that. But he's done everything necessary to accomplish salvation for his truth, and he did everything absolutely perfectly for me, for us. For all those who trust in him for salvation, he is sufficient so you and I can breathe when by grace the gospel shows us all of our, all of Christ's perfection and all of our imperfections. 
because he, the gospel is, it's not you standing before God alone with your resume of good works. It's him standing before you with a perfect resume and, he, and you're in him. And he looks at you exactly the way that he sees his own son whom he loves when you're in Christ. His account is accredited to us. His perfect account, he satisfied the laws of the demand, uh, the demand of the law. When we let go of that which isn't good, if we let go of ourselves completely, and by a mustard seed of gracious faith, grab hold of Christ. If that's all you got, use it. Jesus said it can move mountains. The gospel is proof that he loves us. Our obedience is proof that we love him. Who loved us first, because obedience is not the cause of salvation, it's the overflow of it. Like, I love you so much, and now this is gonna happen. It's a response to all that he's, excuse me, all that he's done. So is your faith in Christ alone or do you invite or allow other things to inform your identity? Because he's sufficient. In the midst of life-threatening circumstances, Jesus Christ asks his disciples this now because there is no threat to Jesus. And we're going to see this in this verse as we close today and then another sharing of the gospel in this last part of the story. Um, and we can move on to the next last bit of our scripture today. <coughs> One day he got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake. And they were filled with, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. Jesus is sovereign over all things. That's why he can tell people to see, and they see. That's why he can tell the fig tree that it's cursed and it never produces fruit again. That's how he can heal the eyes of the blind, restore limbs, heal leprosy, creator of a thing has authority over the thing. And everything obeys God. The book of Job says the lightning carves out paths according to, the, according to what God allows. That it, at the end of the book of Job is crazy. Uh, at the end of it, God just asks Job all these questions that are either he's the answer for and not much else. Like, who's the one who tells the ostrich when to give birth? Or lay an egg, I guess that would be. I should have got that right in my head before I... <laughs> but everything, like the, the seas have borders because God told them they could only go so far. And that's just the Bible language for saying he's the creator. He shaped all things. It's all according to, for his glory and his majesty. And it's supposed to display him. We can look at creation and know that there's a God, but it's not sufficient for salvation. We have to get the message of the gospel from this. And everything is in submission to God. Everything. The only thing that's not is us. And so we need the light. 
And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled. They were fearful of circumstances. Then they were right, rightly fearful of, this, of the one sovereign over all circumstances. So in all the madness, in the waves, in the wind, in the chaos, in the fear of we're going down. All of that fear of all around was then condensed in one point. In an instant, their fear went from everything around them to one point. In the calm, in the quiet, they tremble for the one who calms and quiet, quieted the storm. If we fear the Lord, which is a good and right thing, sermon for a different day, but what else is there to be afraid of? All the fear knots of the Bible find their home in just fearing the Lord. And that just means fear of the Lord, adherence to the Lord. If you find yourself trembling reading your Bible, keep reading. Keep going. Keep seeking. And they said to one another, who then is this? You can imagine, I feel bad for the disciples here. Like they're at one side of the boat and he's on the other and they're just like. Who then is this? It commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Like Jesus told the storm to shut up, and it did. Shouldn't we listen to those words? Don't we have those words? Don't just value the words. Rather, gather and savor the giver of the words. Let's answer their question. Who then is this? Colossians 2, 9 says, For in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That means, and we see it in this text too, it's called the hypostatic union, that Jesus Christ is fully man, fully God. It's not 50-50, it's not some other ratio, it's 100%, when 100%. When God became a man, he sacrificed nothing. It was, he, he, he humbled himself and it was, it was subtraction by addition. He put on flesh, he became more. And so we can see he's fully human, he's exhausted, he's sleeping through this. His ministry is 100 miles an hour, uh, gathering people, preaching, teaching, He's walking great distances. And then we see he is fully, he's, he's fully manned, he's exhausted, he's fully God. He tells the storm to be quiet and it does. This is the Jesus we believe in for the sure hope of salvation that he offers when we, by the instrument of our faith, reach out and grab it. An instrument, by the way, that he gives us. So why is the word of God powerful? because it's the word of God. Shouldn't we, in view of this Jesus, end indifference, lukewarmness, and find shelter in him? That's what he offers. 
because he's inevitable, will appear before him one day. And he came as Savior now. He gave us time. Through the grace of our God, we can know him as Savior now so that we don't have to know him as judge then. If you find indifference in yourself and hardness of heart like in the first soil, he can break that up. If you find that you're shallow and the for sale sign can't quite stick in the yard because it's, there's just that much soil, he can help with that too. He can pull weeds. And he can make you into that good soil. Our soil. The good news isn't that the world is a mess. It's that he's at work in the mess. He's sowing. He's preparing. That's what this is happening right now, if you're receiving any of it. I remember once, and then I'll, I'll close here in a moment. I gave a communion talk. And I went to Revelation 3. And I said, the text where Jesus is addressing the church just says you're wretched, poor, pitiable, naked, and blind apart from me. And that we're to be made righteous from our righteousness. And that we find Christ, we meet him. He completely adverts that and gives us life. We just lay it down. And I ran into someone after the service and they said that was nice. And all I said just thank you. But I was thinking, I called you sinful. The word of God did. You should be forgetting about me and spending your time with him or forgetting about him and keying my car. Those are the only two responses. By the way, I drive a red, black, green Jeep Dodge. I walked here today. Um, <laughs> that terrified me. We can end that. Like, do you want me to help you, Jesus says to some people. Do you want that? Do you have that desire within you? If you have that desire within you, it's a good sign that you're picking up what he's putting down. Don't allow the devil to snatch away the seed. If you hear the voice of the Lord today, don't harden your hearts. The invitation is to forsake all else. That's repentance and believe. The overflow of this obedience is joy. God made you for joy in him. We find it in a lot of other things. But he's calling us back and by the gospel message that you hear faith in his son. Remember, by his blood, he gave you a new record. Criminal record gone. Blank slate received. So we come here and produce fruit according to what we believe in receiving the sower by his word. The relationship to the sower is based on the preparation of the sower, Christ alone. So what do we see today? Obedience to the, you know, we need to receive the word of God. We need to receive, this, receive the seed, be in the light. The word of God is to be received, believed, and obeyed. It's light, it's direction, it's powerful, it's eternal, it's inevitable. And the grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. It's not to be heard, stored up, and concealed. It's to be heard, stored up, and shared, because it's life. God is in his message. Next week, we're gonna see the word of God in action.
one of my favorite Bible stories next week. For now, uh, Titus 1 through 8 says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Jesus was submissive to his father, to be obedient. Jesus was obedient to the father when we were not. To be ready for every good work. There is no good work that Jesus ever neglected. That account is accredited to you because we have neglected things. Be ready for every good work. Speak evil of no one. Jesus never sinned, not once, not even in his heart. To avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy to all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, once, this is and he gather us out of that if it's not once and it's now, so that this moment can be once ago, back when. For once we were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various pleasures and passions. We just did what was best for us. Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy and by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, which he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs in Christ's fellow sons, adopted sons and daughters. Heirs, according to the hope of eternal life. Paul tells Titus, I want you to, this saying is trustworthy. You can bank on this. This is what you put your salvation. This is what you, bounce, you bank on your salvation with. You don't present God your list. I did all this. You, you said, I come to you under the banner of Christ Jesus. I have nothing else. I am only a beggar before you. He did all the work, all of it. You need to receive it. That's it. It's a gift. And the f- proof that you've received that gift is that you follow him. says, I want you to insist on these things. This, so I'm here. I'm insisting. That's what this is. So, Father, thank you for the trustworthy truth of Christ Jesus and everything that he is on our behalf. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you've accomplished. Thank you for your patience with us as we, as we fight through these things, as we do the work of wrestling with the things that we've heard. Help us to be receptive. And thank you so much. I pray that by your work, all the weight that we might feel right now would be turned to joy because of the miraculous grace of Christ Jesus the working of the Holy Spirit. 
whom you poured out on us richly, restoring us, ransoming us, redeeming us. There are so many messages that are out there that are all informing our souls, but this is the only one that saves. So grant us biblical literacy, grant that we would be sensitive to what's true and false, and by your spirit, you do this within us. You remind us of the things that you say so that we know I shouldn't, I shouldn't eat that. You subdue the little attorney in our brain that tells us, no, go back to sleep, don't believe that, you're fine. You're inevitable. So help us to come to you now, laying that which you've made us sensitive to and awoken us to and put eyes on during this, if you have done this work, and I believe that you have. Help us according to the steadfast grace and compassion that is in our God that makes us sons and daughters of a new father. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Thanks, Rich. So I think the takeaway I got from the last couple of weeks and today is Jesus invites us to choose he doesn't give us a choice of whether or not we are soil. He tells us we're soil, but we can choose what kind of soil to be. We can't choose whether or not he is the light of the world because he is and he's present. It's up to us to choose where we, where we put him. Do we put him on the lampstand? Do we hide him? Do we partially cover him at times? He invites us to this meal. It is our choice to accept it. Would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Father, as we come to this table that, that you've prepared, it's not our choice whether you sacrificed your life for us. You did. You've provided these emblems. We often ask you to bless them to us. We know that you do. I ask that you help us to prepare our minds and our hearts to make the choice of where we place you, of how we prepare ourselves for you. As we take this meal, we thank you for your love. In your son's name we pray, amen.
the shore and steady anchor through the floods of unbelief. Hopeless somehow, oh my soul now, lift your eyes to Calvary. This my balance of assurance, see his love forever sung 
few times in that song. For those you hold, we are in no less danger of falling out of your hand than you are of falling out of heaven. You're the God of heaven. We're in you. We belong to you. We're your family because of the work that you done, you've done. We don't forget your kids. We don't neglect your kids. You're good. Thank you for bringing us back onto the Father. Thank you for being our big brother. Spirit, thank you for being our assurance and our teacher of the things that Christ taught. May we leave this place with a new and enduring hunger for the things that you say. And God, that you are good, wonderful, powerful. Thank you for your wonderful name, we pray. Amen. All right, Christ doesn't forget his kids, and neither should you. Go get them. We're just going to have a little discussion and digging deeper afterwards if you want to stay with us in here.